0: Welcome back. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. And so I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. There may be some Bibles on the table uh, in the back of the room if you need one of those. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. A few years ago I watched a, some kind of documentary special report Uh, And in this study, they took, I don't know, maybe a hundred kids, and they placed in front of them uh, a bowl of candy, and they said, now, you can have uh, a couple of these now, uh, or you can have 15 of these candies in about 20 minutes. I just have to go out of the room for about 15 minutes and uh, if you need to, you can have a couple now. It's your choice. You can have two now, or you can have 15 when I come back to the room in 20 minutes. And then the person administering the test would leave the room. And the kids, uh, watching the different footage of the kids, you know, looking at this bowl of candy, and there would be two placed in front of them, knowing that they could have two now uh, or 15 in comparison seems like an enormous amount Uh, when you're staring at a bowl of candy for 20 minutes. And the funny thing about this study was they wanted to see if they could, how they would test with delayed gratification, if they could hold off, that if they could look forward to something and wait for 20 minutes. And it was super fascinating that some of the kids uh, would wait for five or six minutes and then they would just eat as many as they could, right? They, would just, they didn't care about the timer. They weren't going to wait any longer. Some of them would wait, but very few of them then waited till the very end, and when they, uh, the person giving the test came back in. Now, the funny thing about that was they, they took these kids, and they found that those who waited, they tracked them through their college career, right? And they found that those who waited did better in life. <laughs> I don't know why this study stuck with me. I saw it before I had kids. Uh, but I thought, man, I'm just going to put candy in front of my kids all the time and just see, just try to teach them patience to wait, just because that's the one indicator that they're going to turn out all right, isn't it? Well, probably not, but this idea of can you suffer a little bit now for a bigger payoff later really has great value to us as Christ followers. You know, we, we've been reading in the book of 1 Peter, and Peter's writing to a group of Christians who have experienced terrible suffering and persecution from uh, the Roman authorities, from their friends and neighbors, from their co-workers, from everyone in their community. They're experiencing terrible suffering. And for many of them, the temptation is to deny the faith, to completely walk away from Christ. And so in our text this morning, uh, Peter is going to touch on the relationship that they once had with those in their community And the temptation that they must be experiencing to walk away from the faith. So let's read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I want you to take note of their relationship. Take note of who Peter's talking to. And listen to the way Peter describes the relationship with with their former friends. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves... Military term there. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's a great phrase. If you (laughs) suffer, you're ceasing from sin. Wouldn't you like to cease from sin? Yeah, I think we all would. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of their time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. So, Father, we thank you for this portion of your word this morning. And we pray that as we think about and as we listen to your word, uh, that you would use it to transform us and to change us and to strengthen us. Would you give us wisdom and insight into your word? And would you, Holy Spirit, be our teacher and our guide? Would you, like the Bereans, help us to be... Uh, more noble, that we would test everything we hear through the filter of your word, checking it to see if these things are so. And in so doing, would you make us more and more like Jesus Christ? Thank you for your word, and thank you for our time this morning to consider it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a temptation, and it's real, and these people have given their life to Christ, and as a result of giving their life to Christ, Uh, They're no longer accepted in their community. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what it feels like to have given your life to Christ and to have experienced um, the moment when you have to make a judgment call? Am I going to participate or am I not? Am I going to join in and do what I used to do? Or am I going to refrain as a result of this new relationship with God? And these believers had experienced that to the degree that they were refraining, they were keeping away from their old lifestyle, and they were joining with new believers in this new walk with God, this new relationship with Christ, and it meant life to them. It meant so much life to them that they were willing to suffer, and that they were willing to struggle, and that they were willing to even give their lives, some of them, some of them would have been taken to the Colosseum, and they would have been... um, They would have been tortured and they would have been used as sport. And so they were literally giving their lives, their property. They were giving up all things for this new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And for some of them, it wasn't that they were giving their life. It's that they were being maligned. Look at verse 4. With respect to this, they're surprised that you don't join with them again in this flood of debauchery. And they malign you. Isn't it funny that some, in the face of torture, refuse to give their life, uh, refuse to deny Christ? But some, in the face of just being maligned or uh, verbally assaulted because they refuse to give in and live the way they used to live, now they're uh, experiencing a temptation to walk away. Now, why am I. Uh, Why do I get that they're walking away? Why are they being tempted to walk away? Well, Peter reminds them in the first verse, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, you should arm yourself with the same way of thinking. He just described how Jesus, his greatest triumph, Jesus' greatest victory came through his greatest suffering. You remember the night when Jesus was betrayed? He took his disciples and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, would you just pray and watch with me as I go over here and pray? And Jesus, as he's praying, he's saying, Father, please, if there's some other way, if there's any other way to redeem them, just let me know, because I don't want to go through with this if I don't have to. Jesus, in great anguish, uh, you remember he sweat drops of, of blood because of his great anguish, at the idea that he would have to suffer so incredibly. But in the midst of his uh, incredible suffering, in the midst of the, the torture, in the midst of the crucifixion, in the midst of him being on the cross and all that, his greatest victory was won. So much so that last week we looked at the moment he died, his spirit went and declared victory over the spirits in prison. That was last week, that Jesus went and declared victory over all of his enemies at the moment he died in his spirit. So Peter is reminding them in verse 1 that in your greatest moment of suffering, you can't have your greatest triumph if you just hang on. If you just don't abandon the faith, if you don't walk away. And we think about that with those kids in a bowl of M&Ms, right? If they'll just hang on. <laughs> There's a payoff at the end. There's triumph at the end. There's a victory coming. And you can see that in verse 6. This is why the gospel was preached to those who have even died already, so that even though they were judged in their flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. They might have life in the Spirit the way God has life. So what do we do with this temptation? What do we do with this temptation? And this is a serious temptation. And I think it's, uh, I think that this is... Uh, temptation to abandon the faith and go to a different faith. And the reason why or maybe to their old cultish faith. And I think that's true because you know this doesn't sound like a typical adult party, right? Uh, we don't need to go into it. There's kids in the room, but um but when you look at the list of things that are taking place, this isn't just a typical night out with friends. This is what would take place in the temples and the cults and the quote unquote uh, churches that they would have used to participate in. And so in this list we see that they are participating in idolatrous forms of worship in ways that were so common to the Roman world at that time. So the temptation was stop going and doing that. And Peter appeals to them for a couple of, in a couple of ways in how to resist temptation. So let me close our time with this. If you're experiencing temptation to sin, If you're suffering and the temptation is to walk away from the faith, just hold on with me and listen to how Peter helps them to see that it's worth it to hang on, to walk in faith and to resist temptation. You know, anytime you're experiencing pressure or discomfort or some sort of uncomfortable situation, your immediate Instinct is for relief, right? You want the relief, you want the, the stress and the pressure and the struggle just to go away. And sometimes the enemy will lie to you and say, that the greatest way you can defeat temptation is just to give in to it. Just to make the pressure go away. And if I'll, if I'll just follow through with the course of action that seems like it will bring relief, Peter is saying that if you can hold on through that temptation, then you can reach victory over sin. Look at verse 1. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What he's saying is that Jesus suffered under sin. How did Jesus suffer with sin? Well, no man has ever experienced a greater temptation than Jesus. Jesus. You see, you and I experience temptation to the point that we either resist it and the Lord uh, allows it to dissipate, or we experience temptation to the point that we give in to it. But none of us has ever experienced the full measure of temptation. Jesus had the greatest enemy tempting him constantly to sin and to fall away. And he resisted that temptation every single time. Now, you and I experience different kinds of temptation. You may be tempted to do one thing, and I may be tempted to do another. And the the enemy never dangles the same lure that might work for someone else in front of you or in front of me if it's not something that he knows that we'll be tempted with. That's the nature of temptation. And the temptation for these believers was to walk away from the faith, to go back to their old way of life. And so Peter wants to arm them. He wants, in a military way, he wants to give them ammunition against temptation. And the first ammunition, the first way he gives them is this mindset that you're going to suffer a little bit. That if Christ suffered, that you're going to suffer, that you're going to go through suffering, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through difficulties. And it's not all the time and it's not 24-7, but you will experience difficulty in your Christian walk. Has that been true for you? Sure it has. If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you've experienced a difficulty, a trial, a suffering. And so Peter is reminding them to arm themselves. If I told you to arm yourself, I'm asking you to give yourself an advantage over your natural self, right? Right, your natural self. If I say to arm yourself, you're giving yourself an advantage. And so the first advantage that Peter wants them to have to resist temptation is a mindset. Isn't that funny? It's not a weapon. It's not a, uh, it's not a magic trick. It's not a, an invisible cloak or something that they can hide. It's a, it's a mindset. And that shouldn't surprise us too much because James says that sin and temptation begins where? In your mind. It begins as a desire. And once that desire has been conceived, it gives birth to an action. And so his first thing is, here's the mindset you need. You're going to suffer and you're going to struggle But see that through, because if you can see the suffering through, remember that Jesus triumphed in his greatest time of suffering. And if you give up too soon, you might miss your greatest victory. Have you ever suffered through a difficult trial to come out on the other end and look back on that trial and say, I'm stronger now as a result? Anybody? Sure. Anytime you suffer through something, and you come out on the other side and you look back on it, you're able to say, I'm stronger. The Lord has increased my faith. He's increased my humility. He's increased my love, my servanthood, my desires for Him. So if you'll resist the temptation to abandon the faith by remembering that it could lead to your greatest triumph, you may experience greater victory on the backside of temptation than you will on the front. Listen to the second appeal. His second appeal to resist temptation, to walk away from the faith, or just to resist the temptation, is purpose. Look at verse 2. He gives them a purpose, so as to live the rest of your life in, in the flesh, no longer for human passion, but for God's will. You know, before I became a believer, one of the things I really struggled with was, what's my purpose? What, what am I here for? Is this, am I just here to gratify my own desires? There's got to be something bigger to live for. Did you know that people who are lost in your neighborhood or in your family or maybe coworkers are experiencing a sense of purposelessness? What are they living for? Everybody wants something bigger to live for than themselves. And Peter is saying that if you can resist the temptation, God will give you a purpose, something bigger to live for, so that at the end of your life, you're looking back and you're saying, I didn't just squander everything on my own desires. What a selfish, terrible way to live. Peter wants them to resist temptation by remembering that Christ suffered on the cross. He wants them to resist temptation by giving them a purpose, something to live for, something bigger than their own desires and their own sin nature. Peter also appeals to them in just a logical way. Verse 3, the passions that you've experienced in the past, didn't you have enough time to have fun like that in the past? I mean, how much more do you need to experience what the world offers? Haven't you done enough of it? Sure, Peter says, yeah, you've already already experienced the fact that that left turn leads to a dead end, that there's no life down the road that you're tempted to walk in. It's empty, it's hopeless, and it's what drives people to the cross in the first place. It's what drives people to Jesus is a sense of emptiness, a sense of loneliness. And so Peter wants them to to stop living in this way. The final way that Jesus wants them to resist temptation is he just simply reminds them that even though they malign you, even though they're verbally abusing you now and even causing you to suffer, that they don't get the last word, do they? Verse 5, they will have to give an account to the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's a You get more M&Ms at the end, right? There's a payoff at the end. You're not just suffering in vain. You're not just struggling for nothing. But if you can hold out Resist the temptation to abandon the faith. Resist the temptation to walk in your old ways. There is a payoff. Take a moment to flip over to Revelation. A few books over to the right. And I want you to look at Revelation. uh, And we're going to look at a couple of verses in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, there are letters that Jesus is describing to John that he wants to speak a a personal word to the pastors and the churches in these seven cities. And to each church he says a certain thing that's personal to them. But I want you to notice something in common for all of these letters. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. To the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Your verse version may say, To the one who overcomes, to the one who endures, to the one who finishes the faith, who walks with Christ till the end, they receive this right to eat of the tree of life. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. A different church, a different set of instructions, but the same ending. Verse 11. To the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers or overcomes or persists or endures will not be hurt at all by the second death. Chapter 2, verse 17, another letter to another church, but ending the same way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the church of Thyatira, if you look at the end, verse 27, chapter 2, I will give him the morning star. To the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, Verse 5, to the one who conquers or overcomes, he'll be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before the Father and the angels. To he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, verse 12, thank you. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And finally, to the church of Laodicea, verse 21 of chapter three, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with the Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't know if you understand what all those things mean. I don't get it. I don't know what a new name means. I don't know what a white stone is. I don't know what it means to sit on the throne or to be a pillar in the temple. There's a lot of stuff in Revelation I don't understand. But what I do see clearly is that Jesus overcame suffering and triumphed. And he's inviting us into that same path and it's like a bowl of candy in front of you saying, if you can endure, right? if you get the whole thing, you get the whole thing, or you can trade it for one or two things now, for momentary pleasure. Here's this idea. The irony is that the temptation that you're experiencing right now, maybe a temptation to sin, the irony is that that short-term pleasure will bring long-term pain. It's just absolutely true. Sin kills. The irony is that short-term pleasure equals long-term pain. And long-term pleasure and satisfaction and comfort in Christ comes with short-term suffering. And that's just the bottom line. And that's why we're here, and that's why we gather, and that's why we encourage each other and pray for each other and walk with each other. That's why we have a covenant membership that allows us to walk with each other in such a way that we encourage each other. That Hebrew says you don't neglect the meeting of saints so that you can gather together and you can love one another and you can help one another. You can pray for one another. All those great one another's that we covenant to do together. Because the truth is that if we're walking with Christ, we're going to struggle and we're going to suffer and we're going to experience trials. And you may not be going through that right now, but it's your role, that if you're not in, in, in high ground, it's your role to reach down and help another brother or sister in Christ out and to pray for them and to serve them and to help them. If you're, if you're struggling, it's your role uh, just to lean on the church to allow these relationships to strengthen you in your faith with Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you leave space for our struggles You told the disciples that one will betray, but they will all fall away. And so you understand how we give in to temptation, and you understand that we're just dust, and you understand how we struggle. So we praise you for that grace that you leave us. We praise you that you have told us in Romans that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We praise you that as far as the east is from the west, as far as you have removed our sins from us. We thank you that all the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. We thank you that in every way we are more than conquerors through him who gave his life for us. We thank you that the victory is already won. And that we can live the rest of our lives not satisfying our own desires. We can live the rest of our life with purpose. A purpose to walk with you and to know you and to serve you. Would you give us the grace and strength to do that today? To live not for ourselves and not for our old passions, but to live for you. And in that purpose that we would find life, and that we would long for the promises. We would long for the day when the Lord's Supper will be celebrated in the kingdom. We look forward to the day when Jesus serves the bread and the wine. And we sit together in victory. And We pray that we would look back and that our life would have counted for the kingdom. Would you make it so today in Jesus' name? Amen.